Welcome to Melly, a conversation on St. Martin history by Jonathan Van Arneman, Kyla Brown, Ralph Cantal, and Steffi Gomes. Come hear the Melly and share the Melly. I'm glad that um, Calypso, you know, another art form um, that plays a very important role in documenting history. And of course, uh, we often speak about the need to document, to write, to record things that happen um, in our daily lives, things that happen that, that has happened in the past. And so to start off, uh, I would just like to, first of all, um, begin with the fact that, you know, Calypso is a, a art form that, you know, the first, where, where the first recorded um, Calypso was in 1912 by Love Strict Band. And so basically in that era, uh, many of the calypsos um, were about World War One, about the different events that were taking place um, in the world, and it was not until the late 1920s and 1930s that the art form became solidified in where in which the the form, um, the, the the sound, and so forth, you know, was was made in, was cemented into the genre that you know we all appreciate today, and so. The beauty of Calypso is that its roots are blended with uh, Afro, French, and Latin music. It gives it a, a smooth, creolized jazz, um, jazzy sound, um, basically. But I think one of the, the things that makes it stand out was the fact that it was an art form that was created by our ancestors during slavery, in which they would sing, you know, um, sing songs to mimic their slave masters, sing songs to get a message across. And uh, one of the things about it is that particularly uh, in Trinidad, where, you know, um, Calypso is credited for its, its, its origin, um, at that time, uh, the, the French, particularly the French um, enslavers, slave masters, um, however you put it, they would have their masquerades, but the slaves were not allowed to, to take part in it. And so, you know, they put on their own, so they put on their own um, form of entertainment where, you know, um, um, Cambrai, Steel Pan, et cetera, uh, was, was birthed out of. And the Calypso was a way in which they would sing songs about their slave masters or sing songs about their situation. Um, and the thing about it is that um, the slave masters themselves or, in, uh, or slave enslavers, or enslavers, they actually liked the music. Um, in some cases, they were not aware of what was being what was being um, sung, and I think that is the beauty of calypso, in which you know, to its core, it is a subversive music. It is an art form that was birthed birthed out of the need to say something in a coded language. And of course, you know, a few episodes back, we had our discussion on on language and its importance and so forth. But um, I think what is what is beautiful is that through music while one listening, one listening ear would hear something lively or beautiful, another listening ear would, would take it as a revolutionary call or a call to action. And so, you know, it is that um, double entendre which makes up the, 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 char the characteristic of Calypso, which makes it such an interesting um, form. And, I, and I'll just read out the, the Webster's meaning for double entendre, which is a word or expression capable of two interpretations with one usually risque or sexually suggestive. And so that was definitely necessary for our ancestors at that time because it was important that, you know, they would um, whether share with their, their, their fellow enslaved um, peoples that, Hey, let's say uh, 5 a.m. or at dawn, you know, we're heading down to the, to the river and so forth. But in our creative brilliance as Caribbean people, you know, um, this is where you see the intelligence of the Calypsonian or of, of, of us, our people, um, shining. Because in today, like in school, you know, we learn about um, the literary devices and storytelling, um, similes, uh, um, onomatopoeias and so forth. But these are things that have already been ingrained in our culture. And part of that is because we see the great wisdom, the, the ability of um, our people um, to be able to, 
to observe and analyze what was taking place, these were the um, things that was introduced into Calypso as an art form that makes it so beautiful. And I think one of the interesting things that, that, that made it so powerful as it eventually developed was the fact that you see um, that that brilliance of our way of speaking in terms of proverbs being introduced, our way of um, storytelling, that, that, that value for oral tradition being kept alive despite the fact that you know, our language and, and, and certain parts of our culture were, were um, heavily attacked by the colonizers and enslavers in, in a way to, to, sort of, to sort of break us up and keep us from thriving. But these are the traditions that we've been um, able to, to keep alive. And I think where, where you see that, um, that bridge in, in terms of, of Proverbs and its connection to Calypso, the double entendre, is the fact that when you think about Proverbs, it is basically practical lessons meant to bring a point across. And every culture has Proverbs. But the, the, um, the beauty of it is that it is told discreetly. And it is, so it's a message that is said indirectly. So while I may be talking about one thing, again, for another, it may mean one thing for one ear and another to another ear. And so the Calypsonian is someone who plays a, a very important and, and, and skillful role in their society. Because one of the ways in which uh, we see that is, is where uh, messages are curated um, specific, for a specific group and for a specific purpose. And so another literary device that we see being used in Calypso is also the satire. And the definition of satire is the use of humor, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices, particularly in the context of contemporary politics and other topical issues. I think where you see Calypso um, developing and, and taking its place in our society is, is in terms of the role as a Calypsonian in being the, the carrier of the light. And we see that in the different roles that Calypsonians play in, in, in um, <clears throat> the Caribbean uh, society in terms of being a journalist. So someone who documents the daily activities of, um, you know, of a community, because Calypso is something that is also part of, um, you know, daily Caribbean life. So not every Calypso has is is a, is a social commentary on something political, but it could be a simple story about a, a, a family or <clears throat> a, a, a popular person within a um, within an environment. And you also see where a Calypsonian is also a historian. Because in moments where we don't necessarily have um, books or um, written information to detail certain events that take place, um, they, through their art form, are able to speak and carry the, the time that they're in or uh, the event or occasion that's um, taking place so that later on for future generations, they can decipher that. And so, they have, and, and, and so in many ways, they have much more um, roles we see Calypsonians playing in our society, <clears throat> which is a role of a teacher, pastor, king or queen, by winning, of course, by winning the, the, the monarch competitions, but even a poet or a counselor, and in some cases, a sex ed educator. And so a Calypsonian is somebody who is well-versed because they need to have multiple sources to be able to come up with not just the stories, and I forgot to mention, a Calypsonian is also a Melirosa. <laughs> but <laughs> nevertheless, uh, we see where, you know, these are people who, like comedians in some cases, are able to observe what is taking place and, and narrate a, a story to simply bring a point across, to, to bring a story across. And, and it serves different meanings. The social commentary can be a form of uh, uplifting a community, of educating a community, but also the, 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 I guess the, the sweet dance, more dancey songs where it's just, you know, some party music where, you know, you're, you're, you're simply just trying to relieve yourself of the stress that's taking place. And of course we have calyps calypsos that are filled with humor to just simply bring joy and enlightenment, and, and enlightenment to, to your life. 
And we, you know, already spoke about um, a, a Calypso song that spoke about happiness <laughs> in, our, um, in our discussion before. But I think that beauty of, of saying one thing and meaning another, we see that in so many ways where you have um, classic songs like, of course, the iconic Sawfish from The Mighty Sparrow, um, Four Kane by um, Gypsy, um, The Government Gone Down Chapatine, um, one of our locals right here. Um, let me see what else. Vixes, Vixes for Cough, Vixes for Cold. You have Bedbug by The Mighty Spoiler. And another one, Lying Excuses, again by The Mighty Sparrow. And so there are so many more calypsos that we could speak about um, that, that we can reference. But I think overall, this is an art form that needs to be appreciated. And this is an art form that has to also be safeguarded because it has, it has endured decades. And, and from this art form, we see other art forms being birthed out of it, such as soca, um, even to extent um, reggae. Um, you can even tie um, hip hops or hip hop to, to our music in the Caribbean because of course the originator of hip hop um, had Caribbean roots. And so I think my final point will be simply that you know, Calypso is, 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 such a, is such a beautiful music. And it's a way in which um, men and women who take up this, this role as the, the clarion of a society, they help to connect Caribbean men and women to their land. And they're also a voice for the diaspora because um, we have Calypsonians like um, uh, the, the, the Lord Kitchener, who, you know, was, who, is, uh, who is credited for um, helping the, the genre expand through Europe um, by way of the, of the United Kingdom. And so um, today, where we, where Calypsonian stand, we, we, we see, you know, a slight, um, I don't want to necessarily say a, a decrease, but th there's, there's definitely um, uh, some, con uh, some, sorry, there's definitely some contention where Calypso, you know, it's now competing, I, I guess I should say, with other genres, with um, like soca right now is, is, a, is the hottest thing, but throughout, but historically and, and, and throughout our, um, ex, our Caribbean experiences and in carnivals and so forth, Calypso still, Calypso is still a pillar where that is concerned. And, and I think that there are ways in which we can move forward by, by, by safeguarding it, definitely through um, increasing the, the digital access to certain Calypso songs. And, and especially here in St. Martin, where we often speak about maybe there's not some books or access to, to old newspapers, uh, but there's the music. There's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a voice of that time. Um, and, 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 and so, where, and I think finally, where Calypsonians also risk their own lives in terms of speaking out against um, the status quo. You know, it's Calypsonians who have lost, maybe lost jobs or have been prevented from getting a job just because of what they sing. But again, what they sing is, is what they sing matters because what they, because historically it has always been for the purpose of spreading a message to a specific people or group. And that would be my, my take, you know. Hi everyone. I, I, I'm here like, how do I come after Ralph's passionate? Uh, for Calypso um, with some dry history. <laughs> um, no, but thank you, for, uh, thank you, Ralph. I mean, of course, like I think, uh, especially the younger generation, which Jonathan will talk about later, um, it is for us to also question like how how we continue to hold Calypso uh, within our society today, um, and discussing Calypso uh, and the fact amongst each other, we were talking about the fact that, um, you know, Calypsos do tell some truths that have been hidden within society. Um, and, and they say it with this double meaning. Um, and what happens when this is censored? So today I'm going to give two examples of when um, Calypsonians on St. Martin were either censored or attempted to be censored. And the first one is um, case I'm going to discuss is in 1994 for Carnival, uh, King Timo's song Vix, which Ralph also mentioned in his introduction. 
was um, censored for its vulgarity. Um, and I think we were talking uh, amongst the group in this in a way that uh, as a society, how do you measure when a Calypso successfully pulls off this double meaning and when it's too straightforward? Um, and so King Timo's song um, was seen as censored by, or was censored or um, seen by the SCDF at the time, so the St. Martin Carnival Development Foundation. Um, and it's also uh, brings up questions about, you know, usually like, for example, um, in other Caribbean countries, when dancehall plays in the radio or here as well, you know, you have the, the radio version versus like the actual dancehall version. Um, and this is also like a form of censorship, but it's one that, you know, artists work with to be able to have their music still play on the radios. Um, but in the case in 1994, um, when SCDF deemed uh, King Timo's song too vulgar and they basically went also to different radio stations saying that this song shouldn't be played on the radio either, not just in the Carnival Village, it shouldn't be played. Um, and it questions the role like, so SCDF becomes kind of this, I don't wanna say police, but um, this cultural authority that says and measures and uh, I'm sure that they also had um, public pressure at this time. Um, to say like what calypsos can and can't be sung, what can and can't be said. Um, and so I have this article, I, I don't know if anyone can see, but it was written by Lasana Saku in the Newsday in 1994. And I just thought that I would read two passages from it uh, because I think it highlights also the thinking of how important Calypso is and the role that it plays within our society and carnival. Um, so St. Martin Carnival 1994 might be remembered more for its controversy than for the great FET's 25th anniversary celebration. In the long run, it would not be a crime if that happens. The controversy was, is, and will be worth every bit of attention generated and more because censorship, attempted or executed, is a direct attack on freedom of speech. Uh, freedom of expression and freedom of information. Without freedom of expression, carnival and other freedoms and rights would be but a false pageant of the officially, hypocritically, even oppressively permitted. Carnival is not about authoritarian permission. Carnival is about the freedom of expression. And later on in the article, he says, Kaiso subjected to any form of official institutional censorship is not Kaiso at all, but a cursed thing. Pray, people, and be actively vigilant that we never fall further victim to such dictatorial censorship in any area where the human spirit and our Caribbean genius need flourish. It may, be further it may further serve democracy for the Mary to investigate allegations of political relations between the radio's moral police puppeteer and members of the committee who are obsessed with the ban and try to get other radio stations to fall in line and censor, especially Dix. Today, they gang-banged Vix out of carnival. Tomorrow, it will be an opposition party or an average citizen standing up for civil and human rights that will get busted up by the powerful and presumptuous who feel the legitimate rights of another threaten their personal power. But this could only happen if the population has been effectively cowered with past injustice. So, a uh, passionate plea by Lasana, <laughs> um, representing, you know, like what it meant at the time, um, to have this happen, right? And of course, SCDF was heavily criticized. Uh, and of course, there were people on both sides, people that also saw that, you know, with children listening to the radio, uh, you know, VIX went too far. Um, but it's how do you measure that as a society? And of course, I think throughout time and across art and all circumstances, you see that that changes based on, you know, the times. Um, but in seeing that Calypso holds kind of uh, a, a are, is so tied to our identity and holds historical facts within it, it's how does the censorship work? Because then when it moves from possibly being too vulgar to being censored for who the Calypso talks about, um, then comes another layer of controversy. And so the next case I'm going to talk about is in 2003. And the source that I got this from is the Daily Herald, uh, which talks about the song Phone Scandal by Fish the Boss, uh, whose government, government name, let's say, is Alberto Aranda. Um, and he, in this song in 2003, 
uh, was basically put on trial for what was within his lyrics. And the case was brought forward by attorney Martin Lapool. I'm not sure if I'm saying his last name correctly, but he was representing his client at the time, which was Curtis Haynes. And when the court case was brought forward, he was the Smithcom's managing director, but the song Phone Scandal refers to Curtis Haynes' um, work when he was managing director of Telem. Uh, and the Calypso phone scandal had controversial verses which linked Mr. Haynes to actions of fraud and embezzlement. Um, and so on April 25th, 2003, uh, so basically the court case was about uh, defamation. Um, and on April 25th, 2003, the court ordered Fish the boss represented by his uh, lawyer, Roland Duncan to remove certain parts of the song uh, that were found to be defamatory and thus illegal. And the case itself was fast-tracked fast because it was in court on April 25th and the night of April 25th was the Calypso finals. So basically it was to say, you know, whether he could sing that song that night. Um, and so Fish was basically ordered to not reproduce the song in its current form on CD or to perform it. Um, unless he took out these verses that were seen as illegal. Um, and if he violated it, Fish would have to pay a fine of 5,000 guilders up to a maximum of 25,000 guilders. Um, and in response, uh, Fish wasn't there for the verdict when, when it was given, he already left. Um, but other Calypsonians were there because um, especially um, there was one Calypsonian, Mighty Sunky, who uh, gave a comment to the Daily Herald saying that, you know, as a Calypsonian, he was there to understand the long-term consequences because whatever came out of this court case could hold precedence for other times throughout history of what Calypsonians could and could not say. Um, and so Fish told the Daily Herald after the verdict that uh, he intended to continue singing the song and he said that appeared that the judge had just rewritten Calypso history with a decision to shut him up. Um, and so Fish went on to sing that song in the way that he wrote it that night and win Calypso King. <laughs> and so uh, afterwards, of course, uh, the attorney of Mr. Haynes um, then said that they would be taking the case further. And they also questioned the role of SCBF, you know, because how could this man be allowed after this court case to still get on stage, sing the song, how it was, um, and to win. <laughs> um, but uh, I just want to read also from, from those articles in the Daily Herald. So uh, it was, I'm not sure if it was brought up already, but um, we also discussed within the group, like uh, when is, when is so seen as given a good hidden meaning and when is it not? Um, and so Lepoul, the attorney, he also said that from the meaning of Calypso, that everything is supposed to be a double meaning and kind of hidden within the song, uh, that the song by Fish, Phone Scandal, was just too straightforward. It just said it like it was. And so it, it was not to him seen as Calypso because it wasn't using this method of double meaning, um, which I'm sure they, they strongly uh, disagreed with. Um, but Roland Duncan um, also uh, in commenting um, said that basically in the end when, when um, there was an issue that there wasn't any evidence. And so their method was to use the audit reports to try to show that there was something amiss to show that it wasn't just uh, defamatory statements, but something that could be proved. Um, he, Roland Duncan mentions that um, Duncan, it, in the article it says, sorry, Duncan contends that Calypsonians should be allowed to make comments about public figures and businesses if it is in the interest of the community, which he feels was the case with this client song. Um, he, he gives his own personal account and then says, Calypsonians have no more right than you or I when it comes to saying things about people that are harsh or slanderous. But if it is true, then sometimes a name would have to be called. There has not been any contact with Haynes and I, la la la. Um, and so, it's this idea that, Cal of course, like as also not just historians, but as holders of truth, uh, these people who have witnessed and heard things um, have this right to record them in song, right? And um, 
in this case, I, I, we also, I think, in discussing with Ralph, um, coming up and thinking of kind of censorship of the media, um, so censorship of Calypsonians, and you know that people have to account for what they write and, and what they post everywhere. And if we think about the things that now we write and post, for example, on Facebook, um, and how that differs from when you're making a calypso, and it's also regulated within this different field, right? So it's within the carnival structure, they can sing it on a stage in front of lots of other people. Uh, and then what role that carnival committees, courts uh, come to play in censoring this. Um, but it also raised the question of, because of course, calypsos are not, notoriously used for critiquing governments, right? And critiquing public officials. Um, and I think that there was one, I was reading an article and there was one year that, um, it was like, say like eight out of nine persons had political commentary as their songs, you know? So it wasn't just about, um, for example, like social relations, but really about what was going on in politics. And when you think about the fact that um, one person was possibly being censored for what he said against another individual, it's when is it okay for a Calypsonian to talk about someone and when is it not, you know? Does the person have to be a public official is someone, for example, at Telem, that's a partly government-owned company, seen as a public official because they use have access to public funds? Uh, do we not talk about private persons, which we know we do because certain Calypsonians talk about certain families and this one with this one, etc. Um, so when is it too far? And when does society measure? And how does that change throughout the years? I think this is always changing, right? But it's interesting to see like when we allow for it, when we don't, and what it means about also the listeners and the audience who are listening to these calypsos and observing them. But what you're saying about uh, public persons uh, is interesting because like in cases of satire, well, you have uh, these people who like the artists will deem as public people and then you have like their freedom as artists, you know? And I know that like in European courts, uh, artists, artists have a bigger freedom, uh, uh, yes, have more freedom of speech than regular people because they are artists and so they have this role of broadcasting messages and being engaged uh, in, um, uh, and this really reminds me of a case of a carnival in Spain where they had these big figures of, uh, well, caricatures of political people and uh, then um, one uh, brought uh, the, the people who had this caricature of him to court and it escalated to the Euro European uh, Court of Human Rights. And uh, I think that uh, they won because one, it was in a satirical um, context. It was a, in carnival. Two, it was a caricature. And three, it's a public person. So like he's not like attacking him is not personal. It's about society, you know. And so um, the ambience of Carnival, including Calypso, uh, has been uh, censored <laughs> in certain cases. Uh, I'm thinking of, um, in the case of Trinidad and Tobago, uh, cases and cases of, of records of Calypso being thrown at sea because it was deemed too controversial. Because in the 30s, uh, Calypso, Calypso from Trinidad started being recorded uh, in New York. So like uh, many uh, Calypsonians uh, were uh, recording with Decca. So there were Lord Executor, Growling Tiger, Lord Carissa, Lord Invader, The Growler, Lord Beginner, King Radio, The Mighty Destroyer, that were all recording at Decca. And so, like um, like uh, Ralph mentioned, uh, was it Lord Invader or, or Lord Kitchener that was in London? One or the other. I think it's Invader or? Uh, Kitch Kitchener was in London, yeah. Kitchener was in London. Uh, Houdini was in Canada. So you have all these Calypsonians who are in these places where, uh, well, the Caribbean uh, diaspora goes. And so you have uh, this song that is called London, not uh, London is the place for me to be. And so it records uh, the Windrush generation. So uh, the people of the, the British Caribbean who went uh, to the United Kingdom to help repair and rebuild uh, uh, the United Kingdom. And so you have this testimony of this time uh, with this guy saying uh, London, singing London is the place for me. 
And so uh, with this growing influence of uh, the Caribbean in North America and in, the, in, in Europe, you also have, uh, well, the local, uh, well, the Americans that uh, develop a taste for this kind of music because it's good music. <laughs> and so then you have uh, people like uh, Harry Belafonte who, um, who comes in 1956. So I said the, the recording started in the 30s. And so Harry Belafonte in 1956, he has a whole album named Calypso. And he himself admits that it is not Calypso. That is uh, like his, his music that he's doing is not Calypso. It's something else. It's inspired from Jamaica. So maybe like mentor. So he, he says it's like Caribbean or, or ballad and uh, folk songs from the Caribbean. So he admits that it's not even Calypso. And uh, same thing, you have, um, you have Maya Angelou. Uh, who has her album named uh, uh, Miss Calypso. And when you listen to it, it's not Calypso. And so you have already um, this, this thing of um, basically like the United States incorporating and appropriating um, songs, uh, well, sounds of the Caribbean in their songs. It, it's the same uh, critic we can make uh, like sometimes to Drake or to uh, Justin Bieber, like you have this, these, very like tropical notes, you know? And um, I think that one of the biggest uh, Calypso or like the most known Calypso, for, well, outside of the Caribbean, let's say, I feel like it's under the sea, you know? Because under the sea is a Calypso. And, 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 and so you have this idea of uh, tropical sounding music that is super, that is super like, um, fun and very light, etc. And um, but Calypso is not like about being fun and being light, you know. And so uh, that's what we call uh, in in French doudouism, doudouism. So it's the fact of turning uh, Caribbean or of it's all the uh, the the art forms that um, use uh, Caribbean formats uh, to um, mold them. To, to say something that is light and jolly and fun. Basically the idea that the Caribbean is just uh, uh, sea and, and white sand beaches, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, one of the first, let's say, uh, Calypso that was transformed uh, by uh, the Western world, let's say, is rum and Coca-Cola which is a song that uh, Lloyd Invader uh, wrote in 1942 when uh, the, the Americans were present in Trinidad and Tobago, so during World War II. And so he's, he's actually talking about rum being something local and Coca-Cola representing the America, mixing, and he's saying, so, so mother and daughter uh, working for the Yankee dollar. He's talking about prostitution. And then you have in 1944, the Andrew sisters who come and take this song again. And the way they sing it, it just sounds like something fun. You know, it's like rum and, you know, something joy and fun. And when Lord Invader was singing it, he was like making a social commentary. And so you have these watered down things that go with, with um, when, they, when the outside world, world basically use our instruments and our, our generals. And so you have them making some kind of accent and it's just not the best, but thank God we're, we're good at like representing for our own music. And I just hope like we can show it more, like we can appreciate it more basically. Uh, so I think that's a perfect segue. Um, I mean, something about Calypso that's, that's different to other Caribbean styles is that it's very insular. Um, and I think that that's something that my research definitely pointed out that, you know, it's Caribbean people critiquing the Caribbean, you know, and so in the sense of reggae being able to cross over to international artists or uh, to the international market or, um, you know, soca being able to crossover or merengue or any other Caribbean style, um, Calypso has less of that uh, ability because um, they don't get it, right? Like if you're making a, a Calypso about, you know, GB, 
and then you're using local names and you're using local references, then, then you know that that's not really going to translate into an international market. And so it, it really keeps it insular, which is, um, which is beautiful, I think, um, because it's, it really, it is local and it's as local as it gets, you know, but then um, it puts the, the strain of the continuation of the art form on the local folks, you know, because the local folks need to demand and if the local folks don't demand it, then then there is no demand because there's not like there's this international pull, you know? Um, and so in my segment, I really wanted to talk about what is, I don't know, the sustainability of Calypso and the longevity of Calypso. And I feel like the way I was going into it, um, I almost had this underlying assumption that Calypso was in crisis. Um, you know, that it was uh, at risk of, of, of dying out or that, you know, folks weren't listening to it as much as they used to. Um, and I would say, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I think I was wrong. Um, so I think, you know, from the inception of Calypso, Calypso has always been an art form that has competed with a lot of other things that were going on at the same time. So if you think of like the, the real uh, rise of Calypso in the 70s and the 80s, um, Calypso was competing with, you know, that's, that's the birth of hip hop. That is, you know, reggae coming out of ska, that is, um, Soka coming up that's like so Calypso is like competing with all of these incredibly popular art forms that are going on in the Caribbean and Calypso still survived you know so it's like it's not like what Calypso is seeing today is new like Calypso has always been competing with these other genres um, and then something else that that I, I um, found out uh, I was talking to to Papa Umpu uh, I hope he's okay with me saying his name. Um, <laughs> I was talking to Papa Umpu, um, who is a, a local storyteller, and um, he was telling me that, um, you know, what we say about Calypso today, he was saying 30 years ago about Calypso, you know, that the young people are not interested in it, that, um, you know, it's really for the older crowd and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, that's, that's what we say today. It's like, oh yeah, it's young people not into it, it's older folks. And so you think it's gonna die out, but what he was saying is Calypso, um, it, it takes a certain type of maturing. And so it's not necessarily that um, because young people today are not interested in Calypso means that they will never be interested in Calypso. Calypso is almost like a mature art form that you graduate into, you know? So it's like, eventually it's like, you're gonna start to gravitate towards Calypso. So the same folks who go to the village today to go listen to Calypso, when they were 18 and 19 years old, they were not listening to Calypso, right? Or maybe they were not. But then it's like after a certain while you learn to appreciate certain things. And I, I felt like that was so poetic. That's so beautiful to think of a Caribbean art form that it's like, it's almost like a rite of passage in order to be able to enjoy it. You know, it's like, you really have to get into it. Um, and so in that sense, I really don't think that that Calypso is in crisis. Um, and I think that uh, I personally right now, um, what this, whole episode has done for me as really like awoken a hunger because honestly the Calypso and St. Martin is <laughs> I was I was telling my co-host that I want to take a course on Calypso specifically you know some of the lyricists like like King Brad and King Bobo and just the the way that they can can spin um lyrics and and talk about something in such a poignant way uh, I just feel like that needs to be elevated and that needs to be um, appreciated because that is skill. That is, it, it's crazy the amount of craft that goes into something like that. Um, and so while I would like to see more um, distinction given where distinction is due, you know, it's like you, you need to give credit where credit is due. And I, I would like to see, as Ralph was saying, you know, um, more of it available online, more of it digitized. Um, I don't think it is it is in crisis um, and I mean maybe that's something for you know the university to collaborate with and you know try to get like a course on Calypso or or something like that in in regards to history and you know I was saying too that um, we we are in the process of renovating our uh, cultural center you know um, they're they're in talks about um, bringing in like a different um, trying to raise the caliber of art um, 
on St. Martin. And I feel like, you know, that's the perfect location for some, some type of, of um, Calypso um, Hall of Fame or something where it's like, you know, it's, it's a very visual thing where you can see like, okay, this year, this person won and this year, this person won and this year, da da da, da. And then you can go down the years and maybe like there's even a thing where, where you can play a Calypso from this year and then go here and then play a Calypso from that year. And, you know, it's like, like it is the 21st century and we really need to use the technology available to us for us you know it's like and it's just a matter of thinking outside the box a little bit and um, I really want to you know take my hats off to the young folks who are already you know contending for the crown um, there's a lot there's a lot of young folks who you know they compete in in the Calypso competitions every year and um, I had a, a conversation with Zaira Richardson um, uh, her Calypso name is Empress Z um, we kept missing each other, and so I didn't get to um, do the interview that I wanted to do, but just in my past um, interactions with her, the way that she speaks about Calypso, the way that she upholds the art form is so um, commendable. You know, it's, it's, she commands that stage, she commands that presence, she will make you listen. Um, and again, like this is, this is skill, you know? Um, and so I, I really feel like there's a lot of young people on, on the island who maybe don't see Calypso as, you know, the viable art form for them. And that's fine. You know, it's like, it's not like every young St. Martiner needs to go into Calypso. Like I was, I had a conversation with Kenyo um, and he was saying that the reason he didn't compete in the competition was because um, he felt like he didn't uh, have the time to do enough research because he felt like Calypso follows a specific structure and a specific um, type of lyricism and a specific, you know, and he was just like, it was almost like it was, it was, he didn't want to do it an injustice, you know? So there was that, that um, reverence for it, you know? And so it's like, okay, if I can't do it well, I'm just not gonna do it at all. And so there is this appreciation of, of the art form amongst um, uh, St. Martin artists. Uh, and so those who don't choose to do Calypso, that's fine. but. I mean, those who do choose to do Calypso, it's, it's, I don't know, I feel like we need to maybe have another segment where we bring them on and we, we just have a, a talk. Um, yeah, because it's, it's, oh, um, so in listening to what the rest of you guys said, um, I feel like there's so many ties to be drawn with Calypso, you know, with, with, with what Ralph was saying in terms of you know, Calypso being used as an art form um, to disguise um, what was being said uh, from enslavers, you know, and I think of Negro spirituals, you know, and so in a lot of senses, Calypso is kind of like also a Negro spiritual. If you think of like what Negro spirituals were used for, um, you know, if you think of wait in the water, it's saying like, okay, wait here. And then, you know, when God troubles the water, then, then we're going to go, you know, so it's like, see that host all dressed in white, God's gonna trouble the water. You know, it's like giving signs, like disguised within the songs and like thinking of Calypso as like also that same type of ingenious. And so we see this, this, um, this um, like Calypso, like other art forms created by the enslaved, um, you know, it's a genius art form and it, it comes out of survival. It comes out of the need to, to create that type of art. Um, and then I, I was also thinking, I was also um, thinking of Calypsonians as, as whistleblowers, you know, um, really they're the ones who <laughs> will, you know, call out certain things that need to be called out. And, and in a certain sense, they do need protection against that, you know, and so thinking about like, okay, what, what legal protections are there? You know, Steffi talked a little bit about, um, uh the the role of the artists and how artists have a little bit more freedom in terms of freedom of speech um but then also just thinking about like um what carla was speaking about um with uh being uh retribution against calypsonians you know um like as a specific caribbean art form like what what type of protections need to exist for this to be a viable art form, you know, because in the age of social media, it's like, you know, maybe back then when you sing a Calypso, like they'll play it on the radio and stuff like that. But now it's like, 
once you go viral, like <laughs> it, the, the, the stakes have changed a little bit. So it's like, what, what, um, what needs to be put into place in order to make sure that our Calypsonians feel safe venturing into this art form um, and speaking truth to where truth needs to be spoken to. Um, and then finally, um, the last point I wanted to make was Calypso as a diasporic art form. Um, I feel like we talk a lot about the unity of the Caribbean and, and how we are one people and oneness. Um, and I feel like the, the, the natural gravitation towards Calypso, uh, even though it's not from St. Martin, even though it's you know imported from Trinidad, um, the fact that it has found roots all over the Caribbean and so many Caribbean people are able to find, uh, to see themselves in it. I feel that that really speaks to the, the unity of, of our um, origin um, because I, I don't think it's by accident. I feel like there's a certain type of, of beauty that exists amongst Caribbean people um, and that helps us to appreciate Caribbean art. So it's like, even though it started in Trinidad, it's like very easily carried in another place because we too have similar upbringings. We too have similar backgrounds. We too have similar roots. Um, and so, you know, just thinking about, about that. Um, yeah, so I guess kind of a reflection as a young person who is developing in, in love for Calypso. Um, and I would love to, um, you know, if a friend of our listeners who would like to, you know, drop some comments on your favorite Calypsos or Calypsos that we should check out, definitely would love to hear them. And if you have the links, even better. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely looking forward to see what, what the comments are. I'm not sure if we, we want to, are there any questions in the comments? No, not what, what I want to mention, Jonathan, based on what you said, also based on what you said, Carla, um, is the role of the lyrics. Because um, I think in, in speaking about um, Calypso and its connection to the youth, um, frankly, you know, as a young person, you're kind of sometimes more interested in music that just bops, you know, the beat, the tune. Mm -hmm. You think about these viral TikTok songs and not necessarily the lyrics. And with Calypso, it is about the lyrics. Like you have to listen attentively. You know, that's why I say, you know, a clipstone is like a teacher, like you don't, you cannot afford to miss what is said. Um, but even so, um, the case that um, Carla spoke about with, um, was it, um, what's his name? Sorry. Curtis uh, Haynes. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mr. Haynes. It reminded me of the NWA and hip hop. Because when hip hop came out, you know, hip, same, hip hop was same. definitely subversive. You know, um, when, when they came with a song, F the Police. And the fact that the FBI and so forth would, would be around these rappers' houses, like, you know, they even attempted to ban hip hop. The fact that, you know, certain rappers who have gone to jail, their lyrics have been used against them. But it's like, for example, if an actor, a movie actor, um, you know, um, does a movie or whatever, you know, is their role, is their caricature, you know, used against them, you know, in, in court. And so uh, this, in terms of um, censorship, you know, these, these, this is a discussion that can definitely go on, but you also see Calypso and its role um, in, in especially islands like ours, uh, where there has been a, a dominant one party rule, you know, places like Antigua, especially St. Kitts. Um, uh, we spoke about it, the, the song, um, that Dow, the mighty Dow, um, the song that he produced, I think it was, uh, what, the, the old man got to go? And again, this is a language where, if you're in Simone, you understand, like everyone knows who the old man was. <laughs> you understand? <laughs> so, um, it, it, and this is where, you know, that, that, that victimization comes into play because, you know, it, it was tough, you know, for Calypsoian to produce certain songs because honestly, yes, like you, you, you would probably would just won't get a job and it was difficult to make a living. That's why for me personally, one of my favorite Calypsoians is King Short Shirt from Antigua because he wrote a lot of songs, you know, that challenged the status quo in the government. Um, and, and, and I think overall, these are, the, like the, where the lyrics is concerned, is something that, you know, is an art form that we definitely 
the ability to write, you know, write um, in that double speak, especially, is something that needs to be cherished and, and taught. And finally, um, Jonathan, the university has actually did used to have courses, and um, the St. Martin Book Fair also had workshops with um, Fernanda Clark. And I would like to thank Mr. Clark, especially um, for granting me um, the ability to interview him. Um, he is the leading historian um, of Calypso and St. Martin, and then he we, we we had a conversation. He was able to share some background information with me. So thanks a whole lot for that. And Jonathan mentioning or asking about possible songs to drop. I also thought about the fact, I mean, we we're talking about Calypso's recording history and being able to reflect on them, right? Because we were also within the group chat talking about the fact that Calypso's talk about history that's happening in the moment, right? Like what's relevant in the past year, possibly. Um, and so maybe when we hear Calypso in the moment, it, it's about contemporary issues, right? But when we look back now uh, onto them, we see what were the issues or what were the discussion topics, you know, at the time that the Calypso was being sang. Uh, and when I was doing research on Carnival, I found uh, an, a printout uh, screen of uh, the Mighty Dow's work on that. I'm not sure exactly which year it, he wrote it, but I mean, our officials at the time were of course, some names that are there now, so I won't mention those because it wouldn't tell you the time. But Vance James, Mr. Rolox, Elaine, Marcel, Mr. Poirier, Jonathan's laughing. <laughs> um, so, you know, we had those figures in government to give you a bit of an idea of the time that it was. If anyone knows, of course, which specific year work on that was written, maybe possibly put it in the that comments. That sounds like either 91 to 95, around that area between the, my, I, I would assume. And it was in the Guardian. So, and, and two of the verses that I, I want to read because it, it made me think like, you know, sometimes uh, things happen and, and you think, you know, you're reliving history. Um, and what I find in St. Martin is sometimes because we don't have things written down in a timeline, like all in one spot, we can't necessarily see the vicious cycle that we know that we're in, but you know, to it, to the extreme. And, and his um, Calypso writes uh, in two verses I'll, I'll point out. So, um, one island, two nations, living 300 years as one, now foreign interventions saying we must be two. They break down their Berlin wall and now they want to separate us all. Like pirates to St. Martin, they come running. They want to put us back in a colonial system. We need a solution to lift higher supervision. And then the second, um, that, that one I found was, I mean, highly relevant to where we find ourselves right now in this moment. Who wrote that? Uh, this Sorry. is Mighty Dow. Oh, Dow, okay. Uh, that, sounds, then, that sounds like the Franco-Dutch Treaty. That's, if it was in the yeah. 90s. That yeah. sounds but high, high supervision was in 1994. So. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the next uh, verse is... Um, Really funny if we think about where we find ourselves politically right now in, in, in reflecting on 10-10-10 next week, Saturday. The other verse is, if you want this country to prosper, we need a good infrastructure. And with government, this can, with good government, this can be an achievement. If you want St. Martin to move forward, give the people what they want and you will get your reward. You're there to work for us. We want to see progress. We, aren't, we, we ain't settling for nothing less than the best. But the, uh, sorry, wait, wait, wait. Um, the Antilles finance crisis, who is going to pay for this? Work on that, work on that. If St. Martin was the capital, none of this would happen at all. So now we find ourselves capital of our own autonomous country. Uh, and it would be interesting to know how the mighty Dow and the rest of us reflect on this idea, right? Because that's also how 101010 10, 10 was sold, this idea that if St. Martin had the power, we wouldn't find ourselves in the problems that we had in the Netherlands Antilles. And now 10 years in, I think all of us are arguably, I mean, and also due to the circumstances of Irma and Corona, find ourselves in a much worse position. So it, it's just a very interesting calypso to have come across, given what we're in now and the moment we're in. And to think, you know, if we were to link these, you know, and not just see them as social commentary in the moment, but as a historical trajectory, uh, and to write St. Martin history just out of these calypsos, it would be interesting to see the story that we, we could tell. I have, a, I have a question. 
which one of y'all gonna sing a little calypso? <laughs> you, you, you are the, the the next the upcoming Calypsonian. So you know that I, there are professors that are also Calypsonians. So the mighty chalk dust, I think, is is actually a professor. So yeah, I heard about chalk dust. I heard he was just as great as the mighty sparrow. I'm 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 more of a of, of a writer. <laughs> And a producer, not not the singer. I, I did want to mention uh, that um, maybe one. I, I was I, I what you guys were saying uh, made me uh, think uh, that maybe that Calypsonians don't feel the need to be as controversial because their role has maybe changed or maybe it's diminished because basically now with the internet and social media, anyone can broadcast the news. You know. And so Calypso is still uh, played on the radio. Well, I know that uh, like on car ride, I hear, I, I, yeah, I hear uh, Calypso um, on the radio, but maybe because everybody now has a mic basic, basically uh, with, their, with Facebook, Facebook, well, you don't necessarily have to broadcast news via Calypso because everyone already knows uh, it's on everyone's WhatsApp, etc. So um, I think that the role of the Calypsonian um, may have evolved between uh, be because of like technology, um, and so he no longer has this role of a griot that would uh, broadcast news from village to village, etc. Uh, but also, um, what may be a, a, a sign of hope for the genre is that Calypso has also managed to reinvent itself uh, thanks to, to social media. And I'm notably thinking of uh, the challenge uh, made by Baker Jr. during, during the, the quarantine. Uh, so uh, I think it was called Calypso, Calypso Challenge, I, I can't remember, but it was of a type called Sans Humanité, which means no mercy in, in French. And basically it's, it's this type of Calypso is made to be humoristic and it has kind of a, a battle components, but the real type of, of battle uh, for Calypso, the, the name of the Calypso that are like battle is war or extempo. So like if you see uh, the, the videos of uh, the, the Baker Jr. challenge, you have hashtags like extempo, sans humanité, et cetera, that are referencing uh, what I just uh, explained. And basically these, uh, this challenge, uh, like Calypsonians had, had they, this beat and they had to sing something. And most of it was, um, was related to coronavirus and, and quarantine. And so not only was the challenge, um, uh, not only did Calypsonians from St. Martin uh, participate in the challenge, but also Calypsonians from Dominica, from Trinidad, from any island and every island uh, came and participated. So it's also uh, a testimony of what Jonathan was saying, the fact that Calypso is really like the music of the Caribbean and no longer just Trinidad and Tobago. And the fact that we've all managed to, um, to use it to uh, talk about our, our country and what we're going through and basically the spirit of the time. To build on what Steffi just said, I think it's also like, um, you know, I think sometimes we're so overwhelmed by everything that can be shared, right? Like everyone has a mic now, right? So it's like, who do you listen to? Who do you turn to? And so it's not to say that maybe Calypsonians' roles have changed, but to see Calypsonians also as like a filter, you know? If you listen to, to what, was sang on stage at carnival uh, in a given year, it should be possibly, you know, like the biggest issues or, or the things that touch society more because if Calypsonians see themselves as these social commentators, you know, it is for them also, I mean, they were doing that, I mean, for years, even when we all didn't have a mic to, to filter what happens through the years and then to put the most important or, or what they found was most important to bring to the stage. So even though we all have a mic, we can still then appreciate Calypsonians as this filter. Talking about a Calypso that, um, that was about something important that happened the year prior uh, is uh, Calypso Town in Fire uh, and Town uh, by Kaiso uh, Genius, I want to say. Ralph, correct me if you remember. Let me, I can also check in the book. Let me just, 
Ralph is like our, our, as you can see, we all turn to Ralph for, <laughs> for this like affirmation or confirmation of Calypso knowledge. I'm, I'm slowly yes, getting there. Okay, so genius, yes, it was, it was him as uh, indeed. And so um, it's about uh, the, the government building uh, in Front Street that, that was put on fire uh, in 1974 during the, um, the labor struggle, let's say, uh, with various, um, various companies um, and with uh, union representative uh, Willie Hayes. Yes, um, I, okay, now I remember what you're talking about. Um, uh, Fernanda Clark actually sang the melody for me, but I forgot how it went. That's how it kept on me, giving yeah. me a little piece. Something about oh, the government building went down, down, down. I yeah. The Cathy House and the Cathy yeah. House. Yeah. <laughs> I think you guys, myself excluded, should really sing something <laughs> for the people. They'll really enjoy it. <laughs> You guys were there just now. I mean, you, you were you were getting started. I, just, <laughs> I was feeling it, and I think the people listening are also feeling it. So just get yeah. with. This was my emotional plea to my co-host for you, audience listeners. <laughs> I feel like we might lose some listeners if we say. Um, <laughs> um, I'm trying to think like what what are the what are the calypsos that um really stood out to me as a kid growing up you know like what are the ones that that stuck with me um i mean ralph mentioned some and i think sometimes okay. when i think uh, like when i was a kid and i used to sing saltfish to like be an adult oh. and, I'm like, Bye. and the, i can remember i remember the first time like i remember the first time i actually heard saltfish but understood it was in a school bus and i was like Selfish. I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is different, <laughs> but okay, fine. My, okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll sing a little, I'll, I'll, now listen to the viewers, listeners, and I'm not a singer, my wife is a singer. My favorite Calypsos, well, my favorite Calypsonian really is Shotcher from Antigua, because, you know, he has a very, um, a lot of his songs really challenge the status quo. So he has a song, he has a song called um, Power and Authority. And it and the the chorus goes um when they have power and authority they don't give a damn about you and me prostituting the island what prostituting the island milking the land dry defending my people's rights Ex exploiting oppressing less freedom more suffering this thing just can't go on and yeah so there you go I'm not singing again. <laughs> well, we did talk a lot about uh, political uh, and social commentary um, in Calypso, but uh, we are aware that they're not all about social commentary and that the humor is a big part in Calypso. Uh, and I just wanted to um, look in a book for Calypso, yes. Uh, I'm actually looking uh, at Miguel Street, which is a book from uh, Trinidadian author uh, V.S. Nepal, and he references many calypsos in this song. And so he's talking about uh, like his neighbors in his in his street in Miguel Street, and uh, one of him uh, has a baby that doesn't look like him, and so the other neighbor uh, sings a calypso that says. Chinese children calling me daddy, a black like jet, my wife like ta baby, and still Chinese children calling me daddy. Oh God, somebody putting milk in my coffee. I think we can end it on that note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta love Caribbean people, boy. We we some hilarious people. Yes. Always. <laughs> from the from the beginning. Well, it's very interesting that Kenyo said that. Um, he wanted to respect the art form because truly um, it takes some decent amount of work to come up with these things and and respect the general and not fall under like censorship because you weren't you you weren't uh, using double entender enough and you know. All right, so we'd like to thank you guys for tuning into this um, exciting episode of Melee, as we always say every episode, but this one was definitely exciting and fun. Um, we hope that you learned a lot. And um, again, we would like to shout out all of the Calypso legends locally and regionally, um, and especially the women who 
you know, also throw their hat in the ring and have, um, in many ways, um, challenged the status quo of Calypso itself, you know, uh, of it being a male-dominated um, genre. And so on that note, do look up for our next episode um, two weeks from now. And thank you guys again for tuning in to Melee. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Melee. Have some comments? You can write to us at meleesxm at gmail.com or on Facebook and Instagram at meleesxm. See you for our next episode of Melee. And in the meantime, stay curious.